he posted on April 1st, right? Yes. Remember when he left Quicksilver? What day that broke? April 1st. I don't know what this means, but Kelly always, on April Fool's Day, comes out with some big news. He must just be like the most serious person in the world or something. Maybe that's it. Kelly Slater is the most serious person on the planet. So much so that anytime on April Fool's, he just announces some major life thing. Welcome back to The Drop. Danny is out again, so you're stuck with me. Um, I'm going to be joined by Buck in a little bit. We're going to discuss all the huge things that happened in surfing this week, from Kelly's COVID positive test to is he or is he not going to make it to Bells. Uh, We also have some news on two WSL reality shows. We're going to talk about Stace's joyride, and then we're going to go straight into the stab cusp and talk all things Bells, Um, wild cards, Mick, Kelly, who might win, who might lose, some betting odds, uh, pretty much everything is happening right now. So if you want to go straight to the cusp, I think that'll happen probably around the 30, 35 minute mark. You can have a little scroll, but yeah, let's get into some news with Buck and maybe figure out what happened with Danny. Mikey, Mikey in a shirt. I'm blessed. I know it's, uh, it's almost getting to that time of year where I can remove the cotton. I'm starting to get really like hives actually. It's it's a problem. So uh, I need that sun to come out. It's it's basically springtime on the East Coast, but it's it's still a little rainy, a little chilly. So soon enough, I'll be in my happy place. I don't think I've talked to you about this yet, but I kind of have like a thing going on where I was in Portugal. There's some really nice weather and I decided like it's always a big thing for me. Once I start wearing shorts, they're like booties. Once I start, I don't want to stop. And then once I go back to pants, I don't want to stop. Same thing with booties. I just can't Mm. transition back and forth. And so I put my head down. I'm like, you know what? Shorts guy. Shorts guy is here. (laughs) Springtime. Shorts guy. Now I'm back in France for a little bit. Record-breaking cold snap. And I've just kind of came back to the pants. And I'm like way out of sorts. Oh, no. Well, I thought you might just stick it out like that one kid in middle school who like middle of January, he was just still in shorts no matter what, just like out on the basketball court every day. Everybody knows that kid. Everybody knows that guy. They still exist. Like I I kind of identify as a shorts guy. I don't like the look (laughs) of it, but I just feel like it's so much more comfortable. Um, But yeah, now I'm back in pants. It's weird. And the same thing is happening with booties. I ditched them in Portugal. I'm back and I'm in France. My whole system's thrown off. It's really a mess. You're just a universal guy. You need to settle down, Buck. You're too many places at once. Speaking of which, do you know what's going on? Where is Danny? Okay, uh, Danny, so he was driving. Um, it was the nighttime. And a car in front of him, he saw they didn't have their lights on. So Danny, being an upstanding member of society, he decided to flash, flash his lights. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, they pulled over and kidnapped him. It's not just... An urban legend, this thing happens, it happens regularly. And so Danny's dealing with this at the moment. It's We're negotiating uh, to get his release. Wow. Sam McIntosh, Stab's founder, is a very good negotiator. So he's been on the phone uh, pretty much nonstop with these people. How many Stab Premium uh, free logins do you think it takes to get Danny back? Like three, max. <laughs> I don't know if that is uh, speaking really well of Stab Premium or really poorly of Danny. It's more just the kidnappers. <laughs> So they're surfers. Yeah, that's what negotiation is, right? You just need to provide value to the, the people there. So that's what we're looking at. Okay, so he'll he'll maybe be back soon-ish? We are hoping. 
We're hoping. Okay. We well, don't want to. We don't want to speak on the record uh, out of line just yet. But we're hoping. We're optimistic. I can say that. All right, Danny. Hope you're well, and uh, hope to hear from you soon. But for now, should we jump into uh, some stories from this week? Oh, we got some good ones. Let's do a quick three to the beach. Three stories. We've got a cusp coming. I know with you and Stace, you mm-hmm. guys are going to go into a lot of what we're covering on Stab Premium this week. So, three to the beach here. Let's get straight into it. Kelly Slater slapped with COVID following Oscars. May Miss Bells. You know what? This is the first time I actually got the slap reference <laughs> in that title. That was nice. I didn't. I. Everything else was there, like so yelling at you, and there's like Kelly, COVID, Oscars, Bells. And I was like, oh, no, there's a nice little <laughs> joke in there, too. That was good. Well done, Ethan. Anyway, well done, Ethan. Um, you heard it, folks. You probably already did, but Kelly Slater came down with the coronavirus. And I think a lot of us were really offended with the way Will Smith behaved at the Oscars. Were like, we? The fact that he didn't wear a mask. Um, I just don't think we're at a point in the pandemic. So I was really offended by his behavior. Um, I think he gave Kelly COVID. You think it was him? Are you it sure was it him, wasn't? Yeah. It, it, I, I think it, it's actually probably more likely that it was Chris Rock. When he got slapped, Will sent a, just a spray of his inner mouth matter into the ah. crowd. Yeah, it was like a, a big old mist that probably fell onto Kelly and into his nostrils. I like that. Yeah, that's more of a forensic take. I like that. I was just looking at the clear scape of you're you might be onto something there. And you actually you wrote something. You wrote a nice Bell's preview that'll be out by the time this podcast goes live. But you connected some wild dots. Oh, Kelly yeah. and award ceremonies and public incidents, if you will. And I I'd, I'd love for you to get into that. Yes, it is true. It's true. I did write a piece about Kelly that could be called a conspiracy theory, I guess. Um, and I would try to explain it, but there's a lot of layers. It's really convoluted. So I'm just going to read the intro to the piece to kind of set the scene for exactly what's going on right now. Here we go. To hell with bells. I'm riding the Sydney storm was a 2005 cover story of the Sydney morning Herald featuring an image of 33 year old Robert Kelly Slater riding a very large wave at dead man's. The story chronicled Kelly's decision to chase a massive south swell up Australia's east coast when he should have been practicing for the Bell CT, leading to his early round loss against then-rookie Bede Dervidge. In the event prior, the quick pro snapper, Kelly lost to fellow rookie Chris Ward as a result of his breast-adjacent appearance at the MTV Awards in Sydney the night before. Keep in mind, this was the same year that Kelly Slater would eventually usurp his one true rival, and the three-time defending world champion, Andy Irons, claiming his seventh world title in the process. Now jump ahead 17 years. Andy never won another world title. Unfortunately, he's been gone for over a decade. Slater, now 50, is still the number two surfer in the world. And somehow, this whole Bells, Sydney Swell, award show scenario has re-manifested itself in a very 2022 way. On March 27th, Kelly presented an award at the Oscars alongside Tony Hawk and Sean White. Around midnight on April 1, Kelly posted an Instagram story with a positive COVID test, saying that he got it at the Oscars. On April 2, one of the best swells in memory hit Sydney, Australia, setting dead man's ablaze. And on April 10th, the Bells event window is set to open. What does all this mean? Hell if I know. A 12th world title would be nice, but I'll settle for Kelly making it to Bells on time for his heat. I want to throw one more in there. I want to throw one more. Please do. All right, so... He posted on April 1st, right? 
Yes. Remember when he left Quicksilver? What day that broke? April 1st. I don't wow. know what this means, but Kelly wow. on April Fool's Day comes out with some big <laughs> news. He must just be like the most serious person in the world or something. Maybe that's it. <laughs> Kelly Slater is the most serious person on the planet. So much so that anytime on April Fool's, he just announces some major life thing. <laughs> so, uh, but that being said, we have recently gotten some intel. That leads us to believe that Kelly Slater will be attending the Bells event. Um, we have a person that we keep in contact with. We don't want to name any names because we don't want to blow our source. But uh, he's a person that we, con- we are in contact with on a regular basis. And he also happens to be in contact with Kelly on a regular basis. And he sent us a screenshot of his recent talk with Kelly basically saying, oh, man, this COVID thing sucks, blah, blah, blah. But do you think there's a chance you'll make it to Australia in time for the event? And Kelly says, I'll be in Bells on Sunday, which is the first day of the event window. And it doesn't even look like they're going to run that day. So even if he got there that day, he'd he'd definitely be there in time for at least his second round heat. Uh, So that's what we got to work with. We're we're not going to push it too hard because we don't want to, you know, say anything that doesn't actually come to fruition. But that is out there. Kelly wrote it. He typed it. He sent it. And he gave it a thumbs up. So that's where we're at. Well... There's another little bit that I just got too, just now. Whoa. Um, yeah, big time. So go to health.gov.au, whatever their health website is. Maybe that's not exactly. But on there, when they list the, the information that tells you what you need to get into the country with COVID happening, it says if you've recently recovered from it, I think the past 30 days or something, basically, if it's been at least seven days since the first positive result, Kelly announced it on the 1st, but it says the test was collected March 31st. So seven days from March 31st, and you have a thing saying you haven't exhibited symptoms like a fever, all that shit, in 72 hours, you're good. And so we're looking pretty good. We can't make any promises, but, you know, maybe uh, they got any award ceremonies coming up there? I'm not, not <laughs> I hope too not. tuned to Australian popular culture, but the only thing that the only thing that might not get him there is one of those, like maybe something like that. They're giving out a fucking stupid award, and he'll be like, "Well, <laughs> yeah, I'll present for you." That's the only risk at this point. Yeah. All right. So that's where we're at with Kelly, and um, I guess, like I said, we'll talk way more about that in the cusp in the later part of this episode. Um, but for now, what else do we got going on? The ultimate surfer gets canned after one season. This is, um, as we all know, the show was a cult classic amongst core surf fans. Uh, Everybody loved it. They thought it was a great representation of our sport. The big dogs didn't see it that way. It's a one and done for that series. Yeah. Mikey. Dana White pulled the plug. Already. Already. You know what I learned when I was looking at this? So it had a a watch rating of 0.29%. A good show is apparently like The Bachelor or something is like 1.7. And what that percent is, is the total amount of households in the U.S. of their target demographic. What a cocky way to rate yourself. Just you're going like... Is that not just absurd that they're going for just everybody? Like, come on, TV. You're you're getting a little bit washed up here to go for just every single person and write yourselves off that? Like, what are you doing? (laughs) Well, I mean, this is obviously a medium that used to be 
much more universal, right? Like cable TV, essentially. I guess you could you could technically stream this, so there is that level of it. But yeah, the the old Nielsen folks haven't exactly adapted with the times. Oh my God, just cocky, just rein it in, Nielsen, for fuck's sake. You know what I mean? What do you think? Uh, Stab in the Dark would be rated on that system. Oof, at least a nine. <laughs> Maybe a nine five. Nine five. But this news comes to us at an interesting time. Coincidentally, maybe, maybe not. Make or break, the show that we've been talking about a bunch on here, but the equivalent of the Drive to Survive Formula One show that's been on Netflix and has changed that sport, essentially. The WSL one is called Make or Break. It's on Apple TV. And finally, finally, we just got a launch date for it. It's the end of this month. Yes. And in a totally, completely unironic, unsarcastic way, I am genuinely excited to watch this. Like, The Ultimate Surfer always looked like a total fucking joke. This, if it is anything like Drive to Survive, and you get the organic reactions that, you know, surfers would never really do around WSL cameras or even stab cameras, but there's these like random British people who they have no idea who they are and they just happen to be like lurking over everyone's shoulder the whole time. Like I'm so excited to see what it's actually like inside of that WSL camp. That's kind of what scares me about this because I am too and everywhere I talk to is as well. And I get hit up all the time just because I've done a story about it in the past and I've talked to the people at Box the Box, the production company behind it. And I'm like nervous. I feel like it's a lot of, like we nobody went into the Ultimate Surfer thing it was going to be good. You know what I mean? Nobody was excited for that. Everybody was like, what is this shit show going to be? This, everybody's like, oh, like, eager, eager to watch it. And so I, that's, it's a tall task, but we'll see. I mean, I, I'm really optimistic that it is going to be incredible. I'll say I mean, that. Which, like I said, that's what makes me scared. That's I'm scared because I'm so optimistic. Surfing can't be that boring right like if you put a really good storyteller in the room with all the best surfers in the world and just are basically documenting their interactions with one another I feel like you're going to get something compelling it's it's actually like I'm so glad that some non-endemic production company is doing this because like if we were to ever embark on something like this we would be so handcuffed because our whole business is so reliant upon relationships with a lot of these surfers if we don't have relationships yeah. with these surfers we can't do projects like you know stab in the dark electric acid etc so there is a bit of like protecting that we do in what we're able to put out like if a surfer asks us like hey i don't like how i came across in that we'll just say yeah no problem and pull it out but that's not how you get the best stuff i don't think and i yeah i'm just i'm really excited to see a company that has no real reason to pull any punches, um, put something together from surfing. My biggest fear is just that it will, it'll be overindulgent. Like, and I don't think it will ruin it, but my biggest fear would be that there'd be like overindulgent moments and like, it's one thing when they're at pipe, but if they're at like, you know, Rottnest last year and they're playing up like it being dangerous or something and course surf fans being like, uh, no, don't. Like that's that's my biggest fear. But even if that is the case, it's not going to ruin the show. There's still going to be incredible stuff in there. I think like I wouldn't be surprised if there's some of that. I think we're just going to have to look beyond it, and I think it'll be easy to look beyond it. Well, you know how in Drive to Survive they have that one um, journalist guy who kind of like gives an overview of like everything that's happening throughout the show. They do the face to camera interview, and he contextualizes everything. I heard that was actually you in this, like, but as Big Dick Power Surfer. 
that's like the representative of surfing. Is that true? I think, yeah, they just took all of our conspiracy theories that are just baseless and thrown out there on the pond, and they just used that to link it together. It's a cheaper option, so look forward to that. should be a good series. All right, let's talk about Joyride, the Pizel Mini Ghost Squash. Welcome back to the Joyride. This is the Pizel Mini Ghost. Yeah, this is kind of ironic because we're about to talk with Stace but he's not going to get to talk about his own joyride. We're just going to talk about his surfing for him. All right, hang in there, folks. We are going to get to him. We're just going to do a little stat premium update for the moment. A lot of, like I said, a lot of what's uh, what's coming on the cusp is related to stories about bells, about wild cards, about stuff we've been talking about in stat premium this week. Another one to keep an eye out for, there's a piece about Maui, a bit of a longer read about how it produces such incredible surfers and how so few of those incredible surfers qualify for the CT. That is well worth your attention. But there's a special reason we're going to talk about the Joyride. And we're going to have a lot coming together here, okay? We're going to have the Joyride, then we're going to have Stace. We're going to have a little Ireland taste coming up, and then we're going to have another little Ireland. There's a lot coming together here. So Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's all happening. Connect the dots for us. All right. It's, <laughs> have you, let, let's just start with the board, though. Have you tried this thing? Have you tried yourself a mini ghost? I did. Or otherwise? Actually, mine was, well, it's not mine. It was uh, Coco Hose because they had one for the electric acid surfboard test down in Mexico. And Coco, I think, really liked hers and seemed to, like, look good on hers. And I got on it, and it didn't work at all for me. It felt way too small, um, even though it was, like, technically my leaderage. And, yeah, it just didn't have any drive. Like, I just couldn't get it going whatsoever. So I was interested to see Stace's take on this. He obviously had a different tail. Um, and he did, he, he did, I would say struggle overall on it though, compared to other boards that I've seen him on. He just couldn't really find the same level of like flow and speed. He basically said that it worked for parts of surfing that he didn't expect it to. Really stiff out on the open face. Like anytime I tried to do like an S-ing carving turn, it felt really stiff and kind of glued to the wave, but in the pocket and in the steeper sections, it felt really good few turns in the lip where it had heaps of control and heaps of speed and would like come out of the turn like ready for the next section which is exactly what you want in a board yeah it definitely wasn't his favorite board so if you want to see a joyride that isn't all complimentary (laughs) this is probably a good one to lock into it looked to me like one of those boards that not everybody's gonna love it but some people will some people just click with it and will love you know how some boards are like that some boards are almost like everybody will like it Maybe not that many people are going to love it. And then there are some boards that just hit that weird little niche. Yeah. It struck me as one of those. And one of the reasons we're talking about it, one of the reasons we're talking about it here is because with each joyride, we give a board away. We give a board that is being demoed away. And we've got some gold out of this one. Basically, you did a Hayden Shapes Raven recently. And. Every time you do it, you pose a question as the the mechanism for the giveaway. This question was, what was it? The Describe the worst piece of surfboard art that you've ever seen or done, or what was it exactly? Yeah, so the Raven, at least when I did the review, I don't know if this is still the case, but the Raven came with these really cool art options that I think Dion Aegis had a hand in or whatever. Um, but... I've had plenty of boards in the past that had quote-unquote art on them that was absolutely horrendous. So I was more interested in what people's worst surf art has ever been that they've had on their surfboard or a friend's surfboard or whatever. So yeah, we put that call out and we got some 
incredible responses, but none better than that of a person whose name I will not even attempt to pronounce. Okay, let's, hopefully he's going to pronounce it in his thing because it's <laughs> E-O-G-H-A-N, and then the last name is pretty easy, Cudmore, but uh, we've got an Irishman here, and so he sent us this email, just in writing this story, and we're like, okay, yeah, you win, but also we want to put this on the podcast because the people need to hear it, and I just can't wait. We haven't gotten a note yet as we're recording this, and I can't wait to hear this guy's voice. Like, like with a name like that, if I can understand 50% of it, I'm going to be mad. Like, I feel like I should. he should be using words I don't know. The accent should be so thick I don't know what he's saying. If it's not that, if he just, like, speaks, I don't know, normally, then I'm going to be very upset with Eogan. Eogan. How would you try? <laughs> Well, I remember um I Yo. there's there's that uh that rip curl surfer from Ireland. The um, spear man. <laughs> yeah. Uh who whose name I was mispronouncing for years and years. His name looks like Geroid or Gerald. <laughs> but it <laughs> but it's actually pronounced Garage as I understand it. Um so that's yeah, Garage McDade. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm not going to try this, guys, because I know for a fact I'm going to get it wrong, and I'll just wait till the correct pronunciation comes through. Okay, let's hear from him, and let's hope he says his name, because we need to know this. Hey, Buck. Um, Cuddy here. Just giving you a bit of backstory about the picture I sent in. So I'm a surfer from the south coast of Ireland, and while I was in college, I had a crew of boys that I used to surf with. Um, two of the boys were a bit older than me and they were getting into the big wave scene so one of the boys got a brand new gun from tom dh who's a well-known irish shaper and makes a lot of guns for waves like mullockmore and aileen's so anyway our mate was frothing on his new stick um he was very proudly showing it off to us and it was very large very impressive and there was a big blank canvas so for a bit of bit of crack, myself and a few of the boys decided we'd sneak in and draw an enormous dick on the underside of the board. And we decided just for good measure to spray it with lacquer, which basically locks it in, so it makes it very difficult to remove the permanent marker. Anyway, put it up against the wall and said no more. A couple of days later, there was a fun looking chart for Claire. So we all decided we'd head up and our mate was pretty keen to check the cliffs or Aileen's. So anyway, we rocked up at the house, started packing up all the gear and basically he found the offending member and proceeded to absolutely lose the plot. There was a lot of harsh, angry swear words, raised voices and all the boys are rolling around the place laughing. Um, so anyway, we headed up and went to check Aileen's with our mate. None of us were going to be surfing it, but he, he said he was keen to give it a go. But obviously when he rocked up, he started feeling a little bit self-conscious about the enormous dick on his board. So he did try to cover it with a towel and a weddy, but obviously the extent of the board, it was kind of hard to cover it. But in fairness to him, he did head down to have a look at the waves. Anyway, we went down to check it. It was pretty pumping, glassy, six to eight foot. I wouldn't say manageable because it's a big, scary 
barreling slab, but probably as manageable as it gets. So it would have been a pretty sick day for his first day out there. Um, and we were all pushing him to go, but basically the shame of having to show all his big wave heroes, the massive dick on the underside of his board, meant that he kind of pulled the plug and pussied out. Um, so after that, we decided to start calling him Whitewater Willie, and the nickname kind of stuck. So, yeah, that's the story. Could well be a surf sin, but 100% worth it. So there we have it. Uh, Whitewater Willie, incredible. Makes me rethink Will Scoon's entire brand. But uh... <laughs> Anyway, I've been talking to him, even though I didn't know how to say his name yet. I've been talking to him. I'm going to come to Ireland and hang out with him. Um, he's he's great. We're I have a lot of Irish in my blood, even though I can't say people's names from there. And I need to go hang out with this guy. So that's I was going to say, the first thing I thought when I read his story was, oh my God, this guy is like a kindred spirit to, to Buck and Big Dick Power Surfer. Because like, you, you ride medium big waves. You uh, obviously have a little phallic theme going on and your whole vibe oh, yeah. and i just wonder what was your thoughts when you when you saw this and read this is that like is that fucked up to do to your friend or is it just so funny that you can't even be mad about it is that a surf sin basically i think what makes it good is that like it's it's not that funny if you do it on like a random day your buddy just gets like a new board and he's trying to surf big waves and you just like draw a dick on it. Like that's not funny, but to do it <laughs> the day before, like how can you not laugh at that situation? You know? And so it's like almost making it so bad and the worst it can possibly be makes it redeemable in a weird way. That's kind of where my head's at. And so I absolutely felt like I was like, that's, I'm going to, like I said, I got to hang out with this guy. Like definitely long lost brother situation. Going to go up there. We'll graffiti a bunch of dicks everywhere. It's gonna be a good time. Um, <laughs> I just the I'll fact that his friend's name, the fact that his friend didn't paddle out is just the absolute cherry on top. Like he was so either so embarrassed by that thing that he just like couldn't bring himself to take it off the car, or the waves were genuinely too big, which makes the whole th- act of fact that he bought that big board and he was being so serious about big waves even funnier. Um, so it was just a great full circle story and. Uh, definitely bad surf art. So uh, welcome, sir. You just got yourself a new Hayden Shapes Raven. You got the Raven. And then another thing, we've got drive through Ep5 playing on Sad Premium this week. Last week on here, I gave people the option to win a prize, a treasure, if they called out the innovative hat placement, which turned out to be on Anthony Rufo's head. Um, he was wearing a trucker hat in just a very... Innovative way. Bizarre, but maybe it's the future. I'm not sure. You got to take risks. And he did. And so I got some emails there. Pedro, Pedro, trying to kind of do like the ooh thing. A Portuguese gentleman was the first to reply, which is very convenient because I'm going to be back there next week and I'm going to give him some treasure, link up for a surf and do all that. And everybody else, I gave the option to send in a voice note and just spout anything they want in five words or less. And so we'll play those maybe in the credits, wherever you see fit, really. But those are coming. The other thing is coming. It's coming right now. Do not come. Do not come. Is our surf sin. (laughs) 
we are going to head back to Ireland for this one. Maybe, maybe this was the same day. I don't know. We don't know. <laughs> but we've got we got an Irish themed episode this week, folks. Apparently, and wait. Maybe this was the same guy, and he just wasn't actually explaining why he didn't surf that day. <laughs> <laughs> Said he was in his head. He just didn't want to mention the dick board. <laughs> We're getting to it. You'll understand it when you listen to it. But if this is the same guy, that's just yeah. Wow. Talk about full circle. Talk about full circle. Let's get into it. Let's get into this Irish surf sin and um, let's hear from Thomas. Hey, Danny. Hey, Big Dick Power Surfer. This is Thomas calling in from New Jersey. Love the podcast. I got a surf sin I've been trying to get off my chest here for a bit. And uh, this goes back a couple years. So I've been feeling the guilt now for quite some time. I was on a surf trip with a couple buddies to Ireland. Uh, we had rented an RV, and it was first kind of cold water surf trip, but coming from New Jersey, it was, you know, not bad. And we had our eyes set on this one wave, kind of like out of reef, that was kind of slabby, and we thought one morning we had a chance to go get a wave out there, and we were suiting up, kind of cranking the heat, blasting some music, and getting amped up to go paddle out to this, like, misto slab in the middle of the ocean, and... uh an Irish guy comes out. It's the west coast of Ireland early. Nothing's going on. This guy comes out of his house, bangs on the RV door, and is like, you bloody Yanks think you could just blast your American music and wake everybody up and run across somebody's farm and go surf, like piss off and get out of here. So we had our suits on, and we drove to the next spot that you know worked out much better. We would, wouldn't have had a chance out there anyway. And this wave is a bit more manageable. It's still super hard offshore. It looked like all the looks, all the local guys were out there. That was definitely the spot for the day. And two mates ran out. And I just got in my own head. I didn't have the right board. It was too windy. It was too crowded. So I ended up taking my wetsuit off and not even surfing. And the surf was pretty much firing and my two buddies got tubed all morning and I was a little lamb bitch and didn't even surf. So I need, uh, I need some penance here to get, get, uh, get my conscience guilt-free. All right, boys, keep up the good work. Ooh, that is like, that's a cardinal surf scene in my book. Like he told the whole story, right? He did the whole song and dance. But it was all building up. Maybe he sensed the guilt because a cardinal surf sin is putting on your wetsuit and not going surfing. That is a big one. If you put a wetsuit on, you surf. Doesn't matter if you get there. It's too big. Doesn't matter if it's not breaking. You have to go in the ocean once that rubber meets the skin. That's a, that is a rule, and it is a cardinal sin to break that. How... How far up does the wetsuit have to be for this law to come into play? Because, like, are we talking, like, waist? Is that enough that you're, you have to go surfing? Waist is enough. Waist is enough. If it hits the skin, if it, grip, it, or if it slaps your skin, if you touch it, that's fine. You can hold it in your hands. But once it starts to grip the skin, even you get up to the knee. You get a foot in there. It's on. <laughs> you, not, you can't do that. You can't. Again, you could touch it. You could be like holding your wetsuit, maybe even like it's it's inside out. You're sort of getting it the right way while looking at the waves. It's like, nah, not worth it. That's fine. That's okay. It's not good, but it's not a 
cardinal sin. Getting it on your body, not surfing, this is huge. This is a very, very, very bad thing. Okay, what about you get your wetsuit on at a spot and then the conditions change or you hear somewhere else is better or whatever and you got to drive like, you know, an hour and you don't want to drive in your suit. Can you take it off and then when you get to the other spot, put it back on? I don't think you should take it off because that's just going to give you the risk to reset. Like that's going to, you get to the other spot and then the wind changed again or something. So that creates that risk. Whereas if you drive an hour in the suit, you're so committed that you still can't say no. I think once it's on, you just can't say no. Okay. So if that happens, keep it on. Because if not, you're going to do the same thing. You're going to check it and talk to somebody. And, oh, maybe not. And then, no. So keep it on. Once it's on, it's on. And it's it only comes off after you've surfed. Got it. Okay, fair enough. There it is. Case closed. So this is a big sin then. Yeah. What's your read on it? What do you got? Oh. Are you like hung up on the music thing and offending this <laughs> quiet uh, like farmer gentleman? Or what's uh, <laughs> what's going through your mind? No, I mean, that's like mildly offensive and just kind of typical American arrogance, but that's not a surf sin, I don't think. That's just being a dipshit. Um, The wetsuit thing, I I feel very similarly. Yeah, I mean, if you put your wetsuit on, especially when the waves are pumping, uh, yeah, and you don't paddle out. I mean, I don't think it gets worse than that. Like, you could kill someone in the water before this, as far as I'm concerned. As far as I am concerned, it's like... If you see way, if you do it and the waves are way bigger and way more dangerous and you're just above, it's just like it's clearly you're out of your league. Or you got a dick on the bottom of your board? You got a dick on the bottom of the board? Yeah. No matter what, you got to like, it's better just die <laughs> in honor than to not. Like, if you're like, oh shit, no, this is way I'm going to be in trouble out there. You have to try. Like, maybe, maybe try to do it safe. Maybe like, I don't usually count white waters, but you can do that. You have to at least you have to at least submerge, I think. Yeah, like surface. When we did Waimea earlier this year, we got down there and I was like, man, it's pretty fucking big. And I was starting to get that feeling of like, oh, do I really want to do this? But I think if I hadn't, I would have at least your boards for dicks. You're like, oh, (laughs) you see that? It's like kind of a a head up there, and and you're like, no, that's just that's the concave. But I think I would have at least paddled out to the uh, to the beach break to the shore pound and like pulled into one or something like that. That's irrational. (laughs) Uh, Why am I as big? I didn't want to go out to this wave that's like you get kind of little medium ones that are pretty easy. So I'm just going to pack a short break death loop on a 9 0. Sure, yeah. All right. Well, the point is we agree. This is a major surf sin um, and one that deserves a very serious penance. Uh, So let's go ahead and get into it. What do you got for us? Look, it's really an offense. You're slapping Jack O'Neill in his face here to put on the wetsuit, this beautiful invention, especially these days, wetsuits these days, people don't talk about that much, but we both grew up in New Jersey, as did Thomas, as he said. We remember surfing in suits that like, you could have the nicest, newest suit of the year. You've got an hour in you tops, and then you're freezing. Suits have gotten so fucking good now, you could surf for like eight hours in the snow, and it's not a problem. Like, the innovation that's happened in wetsuits is incredible in the last 10 years. It really, really has changed the way you can surf in cold water. And that's where we're at. And so I'm just going to focus on that. He overlooked that privilege, which is to have these nice wetsuits that we have. 
And so Jersey base, still cold there, as you know. He's got to surf in the nude in the next month. Can't wait till summer. I'm not saying he has to do it in daylight. We don't need an arrest. Would we mind an arrest? I'm not going to say anything, but it'd be good content. Just saying, <laughs> you know. Also, punishment Would crime, pretty even. for not, not the nude part for the original sin. Yeah, like, and that's, that's what arrestable. I'm thinking, you know, it just it's just it is an arrest. Yeah, I mean the cops should get him anyway, I guess you're right. But surf in the naked in the next month. We're putting a timeline on it. We want to see a nude surf in the next month. Like I said, if you want to do it at night, that's fine. But get out there and surf naked. Okay, but is this even like I mean, we literally watched Rob Kelly do a polar bear plunge every single day throughout the winter. Every single day, he if there were waves, he paddled out on his surfboard in board shorts. If there weren't waves, he went and just did a classic plunge in the New Jersey waters with no wetsuit. So isn't this kind of like a cop-out almost? Like, he's doing it in spring. Yeah, but, like, some people, like, work their way up and, like, train for that and, like, try, and then other people, like, don't. I'm going to guess Thomas didn't. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well, I, okay, yeah. I would love to see that, Thomas. If you do choose that one, please film it and send it to us because um, that's very important proof, as Danny's always asking for. On my end, I, I'm going truly the exact opposite direction because I just got off of Stab Highway, California, filming. And just like in Australia, one of the challenges was to see which surfer could stay in their wetsuit the longest. And I think you need to do the same. So I'm saying you need to spend 48 hours in your wetsuit. You can do it over a weekend if you don't want to wear it to work. Um, you can surf in it if you want to. You don't necessarily have to. I, I think it would be better if you did. It really shows commitment that you lacked in Ireland. Um, but yeah, you, the only things, that, and this, this was the rule in highway as well, the only things you can take it off for are to go to the bathroom, or to have intercourse. And when we say take it off, we just mean down to the knees. It can't go past the knees. It needs to stay mm -hmm. on your body, at least on that last shin part. Well, same thing. It's it's like once it's on, it's on. Once it's off, it's off. You can't, yeah. Once it makes that connection is when you can't surf or when it's technically off. So pick your pick your penance, as we pick say. Pick your penance. And yeah, I mean, in this last stab high, I think, uh, or stab highway, sorry, I think we saw two surfers go maybe like six days in a wetsuit. One of them on day two or three shit their wetsuit and still made it happen. So we need that level wow. of commitment from you. Yeah. Oh, wow. It still made it happen. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. That's what was happening there. 48 hours. We're not asking that much. Good. 48 or, uh, you know, go surf nude in the cold. How cold is the water in Jersey? What, or what are you wearing? Because that's, I think I may have talked about this, but I can't do water temps. I don't do water temps. It doesn't temps. make sense. Do, yeah. What you, yeah. <laughs> what, what are you wearing in the water? So we have a uh, South Jersey board riders event coming up in a couple days. And I think for that, for like a short surf, I'm just going to go 4-3 and gloves and maybe like, or sorry, and boots and maybe super thin gloves. Um, I think if I was going for like a proper, you know, like two hour good wave surf, I'd wear maybe a 5-4 still and some thicker booties and gloves and a hood. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's cold. Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't <laughs> want to surf naked. Okay, no. good. Those are two tough pens, but it's a, it's a tough, it's a bad thing he did. So It's a very bad there thing. There we have it. Go heel, Thomas. Go heel. Go heel.
All right, all right. As always, you can send your surf sins to buck at stabmag.com, danny at stabmag.com, or michael at stabmag.com. And let us know, what have you done? What have you done, you naughty little boys and girls? Um, please send your proof as well. If you have been featured on the show, we would really love to see, hear, or read about your escapades and completing your penances, because that's a big part of this. It's part of healing. Now we're on to Stab Cusp. Stace and I are going to talk all things bells, and let's just rip straight into it. I'm fired up, Mikey. I'm going to do the intro on this one. Welcome back to the Stab Cusp. My name is Stace Galbraith. I'm a 32-year-old surf coach, something or other from the Gold Coast of Australia, and you're joined uh, kindly by my co-host, Mr. Michael Chiaramela, who is somewhere in the world. Uh, Mikey, how are you? Holy shit, you came in hot. I love that, Stacey. Uh, I think you're reeling off of your big victory the other day. Is that right? Yeah, I kind of am, actually. The southern wind was busting into my face all day, and I'm slightly torched. Um, massive respect to all the Victorians down here that do it day in, day out. It's a harsh southern land down here, but a beautiful countryside nonetheless. And um, yeah, the, the lovely uh, Alyssa Spencer... Ripped a couple of waves at uh, Mushy Winky the other day and won the trials. So yeah, definitely I'm up and about, as they say down here. Yeah, so Stace was coaching her, a uh, young American girl. I believe she's 17-ish and had a crack at the Challenger Series last year. Narrowly missed out on a CT berth, but is looking really good this year. Um, she's she's won four of six QS events that she surfed in this year. She got third in the other two, and she actually forwent the last QS in the North American season so that she could go to Bells and she still won the North American season despite missing a 3000 event which is like the the highest ranked event in that entire season so basically completely dominated in North America now she's dominating Bells trials in the main event and you told me earlier that you think she has the best backhand on tour I definitely think her technique and the way that she approaches the wave it's like she holds her speed off the bottom so well that I think she probably uses the most part of the wave that I've seen out of Tatty, Bronte, not Caroline. So you've got to remember Caroline's taking a few events off. So I know it's a big call to put the grommet in there. She might not have the power of a Tatty, but where she goes on the wave as she starts to get a bit older, I think that she's definitely going to be super strong. So this event's going to be a great litmus test for her to see uh, where she's at. Okay, so obviously we're coming into Bells. It is the fourth event of the season. After the fifth event, there will be the mid-year cut, so that's kind of looming. We're going to talk about that in a bit. But before any of that, I want to talk a little bit more about wild cards, how they work, where they come from, etc. We actually have a new piece on this on the website on Stab Premium by Lockie McDonald, and he broke it down, basically, how the wildcard system works, you know, from event wildcards, season wildcards, injury replacement wildcards, all the different types of wild cards, any way that somebody who's not a full-time tour resident gets a spot in a CT event. And it's interesting because a lot of times there, you know, a lot of people like to cry politics and whatnot, which depending on your definition of that word, that is part of it. Because if you are a title sponsor of a CT event, most of those endemic brands like a Rip Curl or a Quicksilver, they're going to work into their negotiations with the WSL that they get one wildcard slot into the event. The Rip Curl Trials had, for the women, four seeded spots into the semifinals. Alyssa, Spen- Alyssa Spencer, Ellie Harrison, a local surfer sponsored by Rip Curl, Kobe Enright from the Gold Coast, and Amuro Suzuki from Japan all started this event in the semifinals. Uh, Nikki Van Dyke had to start from round one. 
So just to give you, just to give you an idea of the, the pulling power of these events and how they work, uh, they wanted more surfers in the event. So the way they could come to an agreement was more surfers in the event, no worries. We're going to start some here and some there. And that's how they got to this agreement. So you call it, you know, we call it politics and whatever. It's there. And when these brands fork out big money to put these things on, they've got the buying power at the table. So it's one of those things where it was a unique heat draw. I would say I've never seen anything like it. But at the same time, like, what are you going to do? Walk into a rip curve board office and blow up and then they'll go, well, okay, cool. We won't sponsor your trials. Wow, that is wild. I didn't know that. And I actually feel like we need to go back and amend this story a little bit because we talked to a WSL executive about it. And they said that when you have an event with local trials, their main thing is like, we really want to get some local talent into the event, which in this case is not what happened. Alyssa Spencer ended up winning. Again, she's from America. And as you just said, she was seated into the semis ahead of local surfers like Nikki Van Dyke, which to me is pretty crazy. So there's definitely a bit more of uh, the politics inside than I even knew. But that being said, the story still gives a really good overview of how the whole system works. Why, for example, a surfer like Moana Jones didn't get a spot into Portugal when Bronte McCauley did. And all the little questions uh, that you might want answered about wildcards. So I recommend you take a look at that. Now, Back to this trials event. We talked all about Alyssa. Who won the men's? Uh, Tully Wiley beat uh, Xavier Huxtable. So on that note there, and as far as you know, surfers getting seated and whatnot, the men's event was just a straight round one shootout. And you know, to Rip Curl's credit, they support junior local surfing down here very heavily. It wasn't like they've just come in and set up a draw for the women's that was you know, just out of left field and not that they don't support. They support surfing down here. You know, it's their lifeblood. So... You know that that story did sound a little one-sided, but yeah, with the with the um, with the way the men's draw rolled out, it was a yeah rip curl one two, and it wasn't the women as well. Uh, it was a rip curl one two three four actually. Uh, so they obviously got what they wanted there, um, and it was actually every surfer that was seated made the women's final. So they obviously picked the right ones. Um, but yeah, getting over to the men's side. Um, the 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 probably the favorite going to that would have been would have been Zave. He, he's obviously the, the next big thing to come out of here. But Tully, man, he's just got that he's got that bit of mongrel in him, you know. He um, grew up with Zave, had a, not as much of a colorful junior career, broke his leg, spent a year out of the water, so sort of lived in Xavier's shadow. Uh, Xavier's had a crack at the big dance before, but Tully never has. So I think Tully is going to be feeling pretty stoked about winning that one and straight into like what I think about his surfing. He absolutely rips. I think if the waves are small, which the forecast does look like that, it's probably not his super strength. But if this forecast keeps improving, which it kind of does... He could definitely do damage out six to eight foot bells. He's like a big, big kid with heaps, heaps of power. So we'll we'll see how it goes. Okay. Well, good to know. And I'm excited to see Tully surf. Then the other wild cards coming into this event are obviously Mick Fanning, who has gotten the actual Rip Curl wild card. He's obviously a four-time bell winner, yada, yada, yada. Um, And then we have Mikey Wright who's coming in as the WSL wild card, which is interesting because last year after he finished unceremoniously on the 2021 CT. He said he was basically retiring. He was kind of over it. He was going to at least take a break from competitive surfing. And now the WSL is giving him a spot in an event that he doesn't really have that much connection to. And I don't know. I just don't really see it. So what do you think is going on there? For, for sure. I, I, um, I'm a huge fan of Mikey Wright as a bloke. He is one of the nicest, most humble dudes getting around. 
Um, but I was definitely perplexed just given, you know, I don't know internally with the right camp there what, what's what's happening, but it did did catch me off guard when I saw his name uh, as, as one of the wild cards because I thought he was looking to have a bit more of an extended time off. Um, but one thing I will say, up around home, he's looked better than ever. He had that kind of stiff back hip thing going on, which pretty much plagued his CT career. I don't ever think he looked super comfortable on the tour once he made it on. Um, but at home, he's been on fire. So who knows? He, I think he got like a fresh batch of boards and he, his boards are looking phenomenal and he just looks happy to be surfing. And who knows? He might've woken up one day and went, you know what? I'm not ready to hang my boots up. He's obviously got that um, clout. He's one of the best wild cards we've ever seen. You know, when he was surfing as a wild card, he was he just went on a tear. Didn't find that rhythm as a full time tour member, but he's still young. And if he puts his hand up to want to be selected, he's definitely going to straight to the top of the pile of being a possibility. So, yeah. But for sure, it caught me off guard. I, I did not see that happening. Yeah, and the other interesting thing with Mikey is that he actually just today or a day or two ago, depending on when you're listening to this, dropped. Three new edits. Um, his, his filmer, Wade Carroll, basically just started a new website called Pretty Physics. And yeah, just they just out of nowhere dropped three new edits, unseen clips of Mikey in Australia, Mexico, all over the world, which was interesting. I, I wondered if, you know, there was, if it was just coincidental that it's dropping right now before Bells or if that was intentional in some way. Um, it made me think of that time that I think it was Ryan Callanan said that Basically, it's it's actually to a surfer's detriment to drop a really good clip right before an event because the judges see that, and then if you don't reach that same level of performance in your heat, they're going to subconsciously score you lower. Uh, part of me thinks that Mikey Wright wouldn't give a fuck about any of that and that this was all just whatever and it just happened to coincide. But at the same time, it is pretty on the dot. So I don't know. What do you think? Well, I think it, it goes to show how powerful the World Tour is. The fact that surfers and brands want to align their promotion with a World Tour uh, showing whether Mikey Wright comes first or last there's a lot of eyeballs on the world tour and if you can pair those things together video edits and heat performances you're just you're the complete package so it's definitely not a coincidence I'd be very surprised if it was this is this is a this is a 101 play Julian did it his whole career um, you know Freestone had a couple of good years where he was dropping edits before comps and that's that's the formula for a massive paycheck basically you're ripping out of your heats and now Mikey's got the potential to go and rip in his heats and if you do both of those things you're you're just creating so much exposure for yourself and with that comes an income so yeah it's pretty much 101 yeah and here we are spending five minutes talking about him on our podcast (laughs) 100 percent. so yeah I think um you know someone who I think would have done that better than anyone if they decided to have a world tour career would have been Noah Dean guy's a genius like he knows they all know they're not this none of this shit's coincidence they know exactly what yeah i think he set himself up for uh, a beautiful uh tour resurgence sometime in his career imagine the story arc there from fuck the wsl to i'm gonna join the ct at 30 and start smoking guys Uh, i would love nothing more than that and i know yeah i know he would get a kick out of that too but it's probably not gonna happen All right, so forecast. Um, we're coming into this event. Uh, one interesting thing about bells is that the the local folklore is that basically an early bells event kind of spells disaster for swell. A late bells event is good. The bells event is always centered around Easter, which 
I don't know if you know this, but it actually has a 34 day window within which it can fall. It's kind of like the Eddie I cow of holidays. And this year it falls on April 17th, which means they're starting the CT on the 10th so that it falls kind of right in the middle or toward the back half of that window. Um, in 2019, it started, the event started on April 17th, which is pretty much in the back end of that Easter window. And that's when we saw the 50 year storm. I'm not seeing anything like that in this year's forecast. Are you seeing anything different? No, there's there's been a few different little updates. The good thing is though, it keeps like slightly improving and that there's patterns of southwest energy coming which is a good thing but it's always changing like different wind directions and that i thinking that it's probably going to be like you know three to five foot winky and varying degrees of different onshore winds but hey we'll see okay so that obviously plays a huge role in who may or may not do well in this event so i want to get into that in a little bit but First, I want to talk about maybe the two biggest or most interesting names in this event, just for the average viewer, in the same way that Tiger Woods is the biggest name in the Masters right now. Um, we have Kelly Slater and Mick Fanning. They're in two very different parts of their career, obviously. Mick Fanning is 40 years old and retired. Kelly Slater is 50 years old and number two in the world, which I'm just going to keep saying as many times as I possibly can because it's that outrageous. As we stated before, we have reason to believe that Kelly will make it to Bells despite his positive COVID test on March 31. And I'm just going to break down a little bit of their history and kind of like where I think that may lead to now. So both Kelly and Mick have four wins at Bells, which is tied with Mark Richards for the most of any male. Kelly's most recent one was in 2010, which is obviously a while ago. They shared a final together in 2012, which Mick won, but pretty much everybody only remembers the air that Kelly did. And Mick's last Bell was in 2015. His last final, however, was in 2018 against Italo Ferreira, which was Mick's last heat ever as a full-time CT competitor. That was Italo Ferreira's first ever win, and they shared that incredible embrace after the fact. So all this taken into consideration, plus the fact that, you know, Kelly, as we said, he's tied with four bells for the most of any surfer in the world, but he's surfed this event 27 times which means he's only had a 15% strike rate at this event versus at Pipeline, he surfed that event 30 times and he's at eight wins, you know, which is a lot higher. So although he has a pretty good record at this event, it's definitely not one of his like premier events. With the forecast in mind, where do you think this is going? Are they going to make some heats or are they going to be early round guys? Look, a lot of people kind of think that Mick hasn't had the best prep, but I think his prep's been just as good as ever. Like he's, he's still surfing plenty. Um, he'll be running for the Prime Minister's office, I think, in this next election with all the work he's been doing up on the Northern Rivers. And like, what more fire do you need in your belly than, than the stuff that he's been doing lately? So I think the, the fire's there. Um, I think he'll need to be spot on. I don't think he can he can make many mistakes. Um, if it's Have you seen his first heat? No, who's he got? <laughs> you ready for this? Felipe and Samuel Poupeau. Oh my God. That's small bells. <laughs> Philippe and Philippe Jr. That's a tough one. Yeah. Um, look, I could see him, you know, being able to outcompete a Sammy, you know, and potentially sneaking through that one in second. Uh, but as far as, you know, talent for like a kid like Sam in those conditions, he, he does have the edge on Mick there. So, but hey, 30 minutes out, Winky's a funny thing. Um, Mick surfed some heats there when he had the run to the final in 2019. I recall a heat he had with Paddy Gadowskis and Matt Wilco that he was long gone and he dug himself out of a crazy hole. So 
my point being, he's still got that fire. I've, I've seen it up at home. He's still surfing so gnarly, new boards. He's, it's like the machine never stopped for Mick. He's still got everything it needs to win. He probably just needs a little more swell than he used to. But look, I'd like to think he's going to make a couple of heats. The hard thing for him is obviously with that wild card scene, you're going to draw an Italo like he did pretty early on, or, or it could be um, you know another surfer with that similar flair, Philippe or whatnot. So going to be super hard once it goes man on man but I'd be very surprised to see him not chalk up a, a progression or, or two but we'll, we'll, we'll have to see and then same thing for Kelly like they're incredible they're, they're, it's amazing that they're doing this event but these young guys man they're gnarly the only thing they can do I think is maybe try and get in some heads of some of these youngsters and try and get over them that way yep I had similar thoughts I have written down right here I have Mick at 17th Kelly at 9th um it's just it's tough like competing against the kids these days but that said i went back and watched that air that kelly did in 2010 and that is just as relevant today as it was back then like that air was fucked up so he's obviously i mean i know that was what 12 years ago now but he's shown that he still has it in the tank when he like absolutely needs to pull it out so i don't know i'd love to see something like that happen just to go kind of full circle on (laughs) this weird turn of events that's happened between now and 2005 it's been (laughs) such a strange last couple of years any anything is uh, absolutely possible so you know the thing is the the one thing that probably works against kelly and mick is that reseeding situation is now done so they don't really have a chance to win a heat and then end up against like a you know like a seed nine ten or eleven they're just going to go up against the mick in particular is just going to be like he's going to be up against the number one seed or number two seed no matter what. So that kind of sucks for Mick there. But at the same time, look, if he can get through those surfers and then he ends up against someone who maybe is fighting for their life mid-year cut kind of thing and Mick's got nothing to lose, like that person could just absolutely melt at the fact that they're surfing a heat against Mick Fanning trying to surf for their career. So I definitely think he still has that edge where you don't want to look at him in a heat. He still looks super gnarly and competitive. So... It's still fucking Mick Fanning. Like, I think most people still probably get nervous when they're talking to him. Yeah, Tiger Woods, after being out for over, or maybe just under, no, over a year, has uh, he's he's on the leaderboard right now. He's one of the few golfers that are under par at the Masters, which is fucking incredible to see. So, um, yeah, there's there's something to that legend status. All right, so it's it's inspirational, particularly like what Kelly's doing. It's you can't deny it, man. What the guy's doing is is amazing. All right, so you're obviously in Torquay right now. You're going to be coaching Alyssa through the event, and you're on the sand. You're watching everyone. You're seeing all the CT surfers. I am halfway around the world, and all I have are my computer and access to the breakdown, which is a stat site for surfing. So I'm going to go through the stats that I've learned about this event and how they might play into what happens and then you're going to tell me what you've been seeing with your eyes and we're going to see if we can find any connections to make some smart picks here all right okay so first little factoid is that in the 60 year history of the rip curl pro aussies have never gone more than three years without a win so there's never been four straight years in which an australian male in particular has not rung the bell so matt wilkinson was the last australian to do it in 2016 and there have been no Bells events since 2019. So right now we're on three years without an Australian. That means that it is historically imperative that an Australian wins this year, or you will undo 60 years of streak. So that's just something to keep in mind. I don't know who the Aussie would be. Maybe it would be Mikey Wright. Maybe it'd be Ethan Ewing, Jack Robinson. Um, I don't know. We're going to have to see. But moving on. 
There have been six goofy foot winners at Bell's male. Again, we're in the, we're in the men's section right now. We'll go to women's after. Um, so there've been six goofy foot winners at Bell's since 1976. And two of them have actually been in the last four events. That was Wilco in 2016 and Italo in 2018. John Florence is the reigning Bell's champion. He won in 2019. But throughout his career, he's never backed up a win at a CT venue. So that's another thing to keep in mind. Um, Italo Ferreira has made the finals day in his last three Bells appearances. He obviously won in 2018, and he's done well in other years beyond that. He Remember, he got ripped off against Jordy as well by a weird interference call that one year, so he could have gone even further. Um, Griffin Cole Pinto, winner of the last CT event, has only competed at Bells once in his career, and he lost in round three. So not great. And then on that same vein, um, Kano Igarashi, who's currently wearing the yellow jersey, he's never made it past round four at Bells in four tries, which is pretty wild. Um, Last for the men's, Felipe Toledo lost his first man-on-man CT final after seven straight victories in finals at Bells in 2019 to John Florence. Um, He has done fairly well here in the past, but that final was his best, and he's never won. So... On to the women. In 35 Bells events, there's only been one female Goofy Foot to win. That was Frida Zamba in the mid-80s. So sorry to Alyssa, but she's got the odds odds stacked against her. Um, Since the two-wave heat total was introduced in 2003, only Carissa Moore has posted a 19-point heat total. Carissa has three Bells total, but hasn't made past the quarters since 2016. Bells is Courtney Conlog's best event on tour. She's won three of her 12 total CT events here. That's 25%. And has 24 total heat wins, which is the most for her at any WSL venue. She's also reached the semis or better in five of her last six Rip Curl Pros. So this is like truly her event. Um, With two runner-up finishes, Bells is the only Australian CT venue that Tyler Wright has not won. She'll be competing here for the first time since 2017 this year. Steph Gilmore has surfed Bells 13 times in her career and has never lost before the quarters. She's tied with Lisa Anderson for the most CT wins at Bells, but if you count the pre-ASP days, the local Gail Cooper has 10 Bells to her name, which is the most of any surfer ever. And although she's never won here, Tatiana Weston-Webb is the last female Goofy Foot to make the Bells final since 1998. And last but not least, Lakey Peterson has never made a Bells final, but she has made the semis on three occasions. She also married a local and has spent more aggregate time at Bells than most, if not all, of the women on the CT. So those are my stats, my facts and figures. Now, give me the real. What have you been seeing? I've been seeing Jacko Baker absolutely dominating Small Winky, which has not too much to do with your stats, but man, he's looking sharp. Just coming off a QS win up there at Newcastle. He's the perfect mix of light and heavy. And I think, you know, if you think back to like an Adam Adam Robinson, uh, who made the final in 2009. Um, look, I think Robbo probably had a little more wave knowledge of these two spots and obviously executed that perfectly. Uh, but like Jack Baker, man, Jacko Baker, he so surprises me every time he surfs. Like he just gets stronger and faster, and for, he's a big lad. He's like, you know, you walk past him in the street, and you wouldn't, you've no idea he's a surfer. But holy smokes, man, he has just been dismantling waves out there. And look, he doesn't have a 
a massively reliable air game. He can do airs, but it's not you know of that level of like a Griffin or a Sammy Pupo. But what he does have is he has every blowtail variation in the book. So what what I think that's going to do well into his favor is you need to have that flow at Winky. You, you know, it's a point break wave. And so the, he does have dynamic surfing. And I think he's got enough to match it with just about anyone. So look, I know he's a low rated seed, but man, I'd be surprised to not see him go on and do really well here. Wow. Okay. Jacko Baker, who else you got? Big surprise for me. Didn't really see this coming. I agree with you that he had a lot of work to do, but I think he's done the work, and that's Jao Chianka. Just looking fast and looking gnarly. It's it's this this swell window for both the men and the women is not the swell window that is going to be like experience counts. It's just going to be who can take care of the sections when they pop up, who can deal with it, who can show some flair, and and who can execute and get, finish their rides because. It's not going to be that like classic six to eight foot bowl, wait for the better wave in the set, have your lineups right, you know, get three turns out the back or you're not getting a nine. It's not going to be like that at all. It's it's going to be a bit more of a dogfight. And these youngsters, and particularly in the women, it's going to fall right into their hands. Okay, okay. So we got two rookies on the male side. Um, who is looking like they don't necessarily want to be here? Look, I'd have to say the forecast doesn't really get a surfer like Steph Gilmore too excited. Um, I know she needs a big result here, but I think she would be obviously in her element uh, at classic Bell's Bowl or classic Winky, but I just don't think it's going to be classic conditions. Um, I think she wants to be here for sure, but I think coming into this event, I was looking at it going, okay, Steph's going to need to pull a big result out here. She should be fine. But looking at this forecast again, it's going to be... She's going to need to mongrel up and, and grind out a few heats, I reckon, for sure. It's going to be tough. And you're saying it's going to be mostly winky, yeah? Judging by our local lord, Harry Mann, um, who've just done a little piece on, he, he seemed to think 90%, if not all, winky. Wow. And is that like, you know, tide, swell direction? What's the main component there? Definitely tide uh, and swell height. Swell direction's good. Wind direction's okay. But it's just the swell height. You could surf Winky over all the tide because it moves in, actually. and gets really fun on the high tide, kind of like a shorey. Um, but a high tide at the Bells Bowl, it'll just stop breaking. And the transition time to like set up at Bells, run a few heats in the morning, then get over to Winky is just not really a thing. And the tides throughout the day are unfavorable. They're, they're not like a midday low. I think it might be the opposite. It's like an Arvo high tide for when we have this first little run of swell. So... You could just set up at Winky and run all day and not have to worry about anything. And I think the event, you know, again, not my job, but they should probably maximize that first little window just to set themselves up to finish in big waves if that happens, like 2019. So I don't think they'll muck around. I reckon there's a good chance we'll get underway early early in the week. Maybe not Sunday, but the sort of Tuesday to Friday range could be the time we bang out maybe round one, two, and maybe even round three. Also, I know that you can't partake in this because of your current occupation as a CT coach, but I've got some, I got some gambling notes that I need to share as well. We've got, uh, we're partnering up again with BetOnline.ag. They're doing picks for the whole CT season. Um, right now, they've got some picks up for the Bells winners, and I'm hoping they do some round one picks, round two picks as well. But we can't see those just yet. But I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to read through the people that I put money on to win the event outright. And you can just give me a, a thumbs up if you think it's a good idea or a thumbs down if you think it's a bad idea. <laughs> I, already put, I already put the money in, so <laughs> it's not like it makes much of a difference. But okay, 
So I've got Lakey Peterson at plus 800, Griffin Cole Pinto at plus 1400. He's got the hot hand. It is a little bit risky, I feel like, going two in a row, but you never know. Uh, I got Felipe Toledo at plus 700. I've got Joanne DeFay at 1600. Mm. Mm, interesting. I've got Leonardo Fioravanti at plus 8000, mm. which is a huge payout, but you don't like it. Okay. Jordy Smith, who I didn't note this before, but he has made nine quarters or better in his 12 events at Bells, which is pretty damn good. Uh, I got him at plus 800. Too small? Oh, no, he likes it. All right. Um, Well, I put money on Steph Gilmore. I already know how you feel about that one. Mm -hmm. I just feel like she needs a result. She's never not made it to the quarters. I don't know. Maybe some magic will happen. And my last pick is I I had to get that. uh, I had to slide one Aussie in just to fulfill the prophecy. So I've got Ethan Ewing at plus 1,000. He's my Aussie pick. He likes it. Okay. That's where we're at. Um, I spent $175 total on these bets. I think the average payout is probably somewhere around like 240 so if i hit one of them i should come out in the positives if i hit none of them obviously i'll be out 175 dollars. but hopefully i can make that up in the in the round betting which is frankly a, a lot easier and another tip for betting is don't if you're feeling uneasy don't bet the round one three-man heats because they're just that much harder to pick you have only a 33% chance to win versus a theoretical 50% chance to win. And yeah, we're going to be giving you guys more betting tips throughout the year, but those are my picks for Bell's Beach. And those are my betting picks. I also just have a personal pick on who I think is going to win for the men and the women, but I'm going to let Stacy go first since I've held the floor for a little while. Yeah, going back on what I said earlier, my dark horse is Jacko Baker and my number one pick, let's go back to back Griff Dog. Griffin Colapinto. It's going to suit him. I really think it's going to suit Kolohe as well, but I'll, I'll ride Griffin. Go Griffin and Jacko. And then on the women's side, um, look, that's a tricky one. Uh, I think my uh, dark horse will be trialist winner, Alyssa Spencer. Hopefully she can uh, go all the way. And then I think for my main my main draw, I'm, I probably would still go kind of a dark horse, but like some sort of underdog. Like it'd be cool to see Betty Lou, you know, fire up so i'm gonna go betty lou sakura johnson sick okay cool uh i've got felipe for the men and i've got ethan as my dark horse i don't know if he's like really a dark horse but he you know he's never won an event he's never really been too close to the top five or top 10 or anything so yeah i'm gonna slide him in there um i think his surfing obviously suits any right hand wall so hopefully he finds the flow and bangs some lips and then on the women's, I've got Lakey Peterson for the reasons stated before. I think that she's due for a win. She's she's coming to a pretty good run after not being on tour next year. She's got some good results this year. And, um, yeah, she's basically a local now. So I'm going to give it to her. And then Dark Horse. I haven't seen her surf at Bells ever before, but I just love the idea of somebody in the women's division doing airs. So I'm going with Molly Picklum. I'd love to see her fucking get her fins above the lip and do something cool and scare some scare some veterans she did one in the free surf the other day definitely looking sharp i back the molly call in um like i said i really think a grommet could do well here one of the junior women um you know someone who we're probably leaving out of this chat which is again i would say her surfing's probably more suited to the bells bowl but that's india robinson she's had more time out winky than anyone 
Um, and you know she, she definitely knows the lineup. So there is, can be a bit of a trick there with a small winky, whether you start up the top or start down the bottom. Those That local knowledge can definitely play into it. Um, plenty of scoring rides all up and down the point, but how you start and manage your heat is obviously a, a big, big, big thing. So... Yeah, we'll have to see how that all that all plays out. All right. Well, those are our picks. Um, maybe we're right. Maybe we're wrong. We're usually wrong, but it's still fun to do anyway. Now, one thing you did say to me earlier in the week is that you've heard some moaning, some groaning, some grumbling about this mid-year cut coming up, frankly, from, from a lot of the, the veterans on tour. And... Yeah, what are your what's the feeling on that? Like, I mean, I, obviously, I know if you're below the cut line, you're not going to feel very good. But is there a general consensus? Do like the surfers generally think it's a bad idea? Um, yeah, I guess it's a funny one, right? Like, if you were number five in the world, you probably wouldn't think two moments about it. But you know, there's been a lot of times where a lot of good surfers don't get the start they want to the year. Um, I think John Florence is a perfect example. Um, so. You know, really, five events isn't a very long time, but there's so many layers to it. I don't think I really have a massive opinion on this one. Um, I think we do need to probably deliver a bit punchier of a product to the like a global audience if we do want to capture more eyeballs. But at the same time, am I super worried about capturing more eyeballs? No, not really. I enjoy watching professional surfing, so I'm not. You know, I'd pay for it too. By the way. Like, we get a beautiful webcast for free. I'd, I'd happily pay for it. So that, there's my thought on it there. If I paid for it and it meant more guys kept getting on tour and I got to watch more pro surfing, well, then maybe that's my opinion. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Well, I have an unpopular opinion, which is I think how we're going we're gonna to run this out. And my unpopular opinion for Bells is that I think veteran surfers below the cut line are going to unionize and they're going to get a lot of rookies on board as well because they're young and looking up to these people and don't know any better. And there's going to be a big blowout between the surfers and the WSL. And I think some people are going to refuse to surf margs because surfing margs would mean that basically you are conceding that if you lose margs, then you lost in the like technical sense versus if you don't surf margs then the WSL just kind of fucked you over so i think there's going to be a, a big splash at the end of this or at, at the mid-year cut basically and i think it's going to start at bells with people you know just a little like oh hey what do you think about this a little propaganda here a little nudge there yeah i mean it's an interesting one um there's uh definitely going to be a few unhappy heads after margaret river um i will say the only consolation prize is you get to go straight on the Challenger Series, which is Snapper. So it's not uh, it's not all bad. But I definitely think, uh, you know, if you're a Callum Robson, for example, he's having a great year on tour. Um, definitely surprised me and a lot of others with how strong he's looked. Um, he's looking for sponsorship right now. And it's it would be so hard to sit at that table with any prospective brand and be like, oh, hey, I'm like sitting right on the line. Oh, okay, we'll just wait and see what happens after Bells and or Margs or whatever. Like, And then all of a sudden it's halfway through the year and then can you really align with a brand then to, to showcase your story and sell your whatever you're selling for like a few more events and then the year's over? Like it's just, it's a tricky one for a few different reasons. So yeah, I definitely think it would be hard for, for say a surfer like Cal to really have any kind of a surety as to what he's doing. Yeah. That actually, that reminds me of the most like, Oh, I don't even want to, I don't even know like what term I want to use for this, but like 
basically, Morgan Sibilic did what he did last year, finished fifth in the world out of nowhere, and got a Red Bull deal as a result. And right now, he is sitting well, well, well below the cut line. And I'm just thinking, if you're Red Bull, you're like, oh, gosh, what did we do? Like, I mean, we talked a lot about how real, you know, Morgan's, like, place was in tour last year. And to me, I think it was always like, yeah, he's a, he's a good surfer, but he's not a top five in the world surfer. And it was a matter of, you know, he won some crucial heats over guys like John Florence. He was really solid in um, kind of just moments where a lot of rookies could have crumbled. And he made the best of his situation. And it was a shortened season as well. Um, there were only six or seven events. So all those things played into him ending at number five in the world. And that obviously was a huge bargaining chip for him with brands. And as a result, he got a Red Bull deal. But yeah, I just wonder, you know, if he falls off this year, then he's got to do the whole requalification again. And that's so hard in and of itself. Like, it's very possible that Morgan Sibillic could go from number five to off tour to never on tour again. And I'm not saying I want that to happen. I'm just saying it's a real possibility. For sure. And it also, too, you know, whether it's Morgan or a Ryan Callanan or any one of those guys that are, that are needing a massive result here at Bells, they go from being able to refine their craft and really assert themselves in, say, the top 10 or the top five and not just be like a one-off show. They can take six months to go and, you know, whether it be working on airs for Morgan or, or you know, Ryan getting super gnarly at chopes and, and really good at pipe which he already is but you know you could always get improved you know so spending time to get better at those two spots to really then go well i'm a world title guy now instead they'll be doing eight cs events and they won't have any time to really perfect the world title craft they'll just be out there perfecting the qe craft and it's two different things so it's definitely definitely going to be a hard one to, to manage also, one more thing, actually, it's 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 a lot easier to qualify for the Olympics if you make the cut this year than it is if, to go through the Challenger again. So there's another thing to think about as well. Oh, that's um, interesting. Yeah, you're right. Good point. All right, do you have any um, unpopular opinions for Bells? Um, I think... I, no, I, I don't have an unpopular opinion. I know Bells is, is, is an unpopular wave amongst some of the surfers, but look, the town just gets much like Newcastle. They get right behind it, and they've had a few years off here. And you know they deserve this, man. They love pro surf, and they'll be down there cheering on rain, hail, or shine. One foot, ten foot, they don't care. Everyone around town, like the coffee shops and all the local surf stores, and everyone is so pumped to have everyone back in town. So I think that must be a nice feeling for the surfers. And yeah, like I said, the town deserves it, man. It's a it's a one of the core surf towns in the world. So I hope that um yeah they get to take a few days off work and in, enjoy the show. Is that just because you're staying in Kale Bell Warren's house? You have to say that. Massive massive shout out to the Bell Warren family, uh, their dog Esky, and, and everyone else who's housed me this week. Shout out to the Wilsons who are looking after Alyssa. It's one of those things we all just come down here and like yeah you got a bedroom and everyone's just like yeah sure of course like. You know, the Wilsons have got family in the trials too, but they welcomed in arguably the number one seed to stay at their joint, and she obviously got the wind, and they're frothing. They're like, we'll be down there for all your heats. And like, <laughs> she knocked out their daughter, but they don't, they're frothing, you know, and everyone's frothing. It's sick. So there's no, there's no weird, like, jealous surf town vibes. It's like everyone, everyone's on board. Yeah. For sure. Did you know I, I was in Bells for two weeks, and I never surfed Bells, actually? Because I was there in 2019 yeah, right. when it was flat like flat for the first week or 10 days or whatever and then it was 30 foot and so i never actually got to surf bells i heard winky 
but I never surfed bells. I feel like I kind of missed out. Well, that's the uh, that's my unpopular opinion, and it's not it's not exactly my opinion. But you should never surf Winky before you surf bells. Oh, I'm fucked. You're fucked. <laughs> it's such a good time. Is that is that why? Because you go from having a really good time to having not a good time at all. It's just two different styles of surfing, and you can't you can't do one at the other. So, yeah, I think that's why you might see some different winners this week. There's going to be a lot of heats at Winky, so we'll see how we go. Okay, well, that has been it for the Stab Cusp. We'll be back uh, at the end of this event, whenever that is, to recap, decide whether or not we won money, lost money, um, lost our jobs, lost our souls, and I'm excited for all of it. So, Stacy, thank you. All right, so that's it for this episode of The Drop and The Cusp. Um, We pretty much talked about every single thing that happened in surfing this week, so I don't really know what else you could ask for in a podcast. Um, Until next week, adios. Mm